here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Bob Andrews, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Keyboard player, writer, producer, and lots of other stuff besides. Was in Brinsley Schwartz, then Graham Parker and The Rumour. Spent decades in the world of record production, engineering, working with Carleen Carter, The Bluebells, The Lars, and Stiff Records, and lots more besides. Anyway, you're going to find out lots about Bob's life in this interview, so take notes. I will test you at the end. So after several minutes of interest and a casual chat, we get down that that exciting subject was the early formative years. Bob, it's over to you. Uh, well, I have to go back to the 60s, you say. The trouble with that is that uh, um, the, uh, I, I got, well, I got, I got first of all, uh, I, 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 lo- I loved the Everly Brothers when I was about 11. I heard the Everly Brothers and thought the harmony thing was fantastic. And that whole little sort of, I just I just loved harmonies. I used to sing a third harmony to the Ebley Brothers. I could find I could sing along with things, and that that got me going. I played piano at the time. I was I was having uh, classical piano lessons, and then, um, and then of course you know the Beatles came along, and 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 everyone wanted to play guitar, so I got myself a guitar, and and but the main thing about it really was when I think I, I used to go to a club in Manchester called the Twisted Wheel Club. Um, it, they hold, they held all nighters. Of course, I was way underage for them, but um, yeah. like fourteen, fifteen, and uh, and uh, well, actually, I was fifteen, sixteen, and um, and I saw first of all, I saw a Steam Packet, which was uh, Brian uh, Brian August uh, Trinity, uh, Julie Driscoll, Rod Stewart, and Long John Baldry, and it was the first time I ever heard a Hammond. I saw a Hammond organ and I saw Leslie and, and the Hammond. And, and at the same time, there was a lot of records that played Hammond sounds in the disco of the of the club itself. Yes. And so they used to have live acts and then they'd have a disco till five in the morning. And it was like a disco, whatever it was called, DJing, whatever you want to call it. And uh, and they had these great records. And I heard Jimmy Smith and I heard all these organ records and I just fell in love with the Hammond organ. That was like my big awakening, if you like. Yeah. I just went, I got a I got a sound like that. You know. You and so, so eventually I, I got myself a Hammond organ and and I played one on and off ever since. Yes. So was Manchester your hometown or was it kind no, of No, no, it was uh, Leeds was my hometown. Right. Uh, I actually I, I lived in a village just outside Leeds called Rawdon. And uh, I used to take the bus into town to do things and stuff. And then we'd get the train or we'd, or we'd hitchhike. Going into Manchester. Oh, my God, yeah, that's you amazing. Got, you, yeah, you get there about sort of 10-ish and the club would open at 11 and, and you know, you'd, you'd dance all night. I mean, it was it – was, uh, but the, I saw that I saw – there I saw um, Steam Packet, of course, uh, and then I saw um, – uh, I saw Eric Clapton with John Mayle during that Bean, the Beano era, you know. Yes. And, uh, and I saw that. And th- then he had a Hammond organ, you know, uh, 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 John Mayle had, had one. And it was, but and I saw Clapton, you know, it was like, and there was like 50 people there, you know. 
Amazing. I know. Well, there you go. I didn't. I didn't interview. I think his name was Billy Ritchie. He was in a band called Clouds or One Two Three. They were kind of one of those very early prog bands that sort of appeared. He was from Scotland, but I think they, there was a three piece, and there was sort of a a bit of an avant garde. But you didn't sort of come across anything like that. No, I mean, no. I mean, I play. I did with that I, that music. I might, I went to Germany for two years, and and played for the GIs uh, going in and out of Vietnam. We had a band and Go Go Girls, and we had the whole German club come American bass sort of trip for about two years, and then I came back and uh, and played with P.P. Arnold for about oh three months, and I was so young, I was I was too immature for the. Her band was so great; they were great people, and I, I was just too mature, you know, basically. So that I didn't have that gig for very long, but then I. Uh, you know, I I I got a, a gig with, a, but I had the Hammond. I really had the Hammond, and I was, you know, I was up there, you know, working on the Hammond. But uh, yeah, so that that was that was my sixties thing. And then, of course, I met uh, um, the guys in British. Became British Schwartz, keeping a lodge, which became British Schwartz. Yes, absolutely. Um, and were your were your parents at all musical or sort of artistic? My mother, well, my mother had sisters. They all played the piano, of course, in those you know from those when they were growing up. Um, but uh, no, I mean, uh, my mother encouraged me to play the piano, and uh, and she was the one that kept me going at it. Really, I can't I can't say enough about that. Yeah, but uh, but when I wanted to turn to be a professional position and go to Germany, I said, I'm going to Germany and uh, you know I'm going to play. <laughs> she kind of uh, she didn't like the idea at all. She wanted me to you know to have a proper job. And uh, but my father really helped me, helped me buy the organ, and he and he said, go and enjoy yourself where you can. And that was kind of interesting. That was that, yeah, it was it was. But they were not musical at all, really. I mean, they they liked my father liked uh, country music. He liked to Jim Reeves. That was oh, his absolutely! My, I, I do remember my, my parents had some interesting and quite scary. Um, quite country. scary, yes. Quite, there was there was Jim Reeves, which slightly has yes. sort of kind of makes me yes. solid freeze, and also a guy called Boxcar Willie that I seem to remember oh, being uh, inflicted. Yeah. But it was that kind of country which. Yeah, was was not the cool. I mean, I don't know if Jim Reeves has ever become cool since, but um, he wasn't. He, it, it was a sign that I didn't like. Going back to P. P. Arnold because I did an interview with her last year when she brought a book out. I mean, was this kind of her sixties period before Ike and Tina Turner, or was she still about? No, to... no, no. She was. This was after all that. This was sixty uh, eight. Right. This is sixty eight. Uh, and uh, no, uh, um, uh, she. Uh, she was doing quite well. I'm, I mean, you know, I, I, I was just too young. I, I, I got it through a friend of a friend. I think it was a guy that I, I knew. A beat instrumental. It was a magazine called Beat Instrumental, and uh, somehow that one of the writers there got me the gig, and uh, I just was, you know, I just wasn't able to handle it. Uh, I, 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 I'd gone from just being a little mouse in a in a cupboard to suddenly this you know this great singer and, and I felt you know I was just a little overwhelmed nothing really but, yes. um, so were you were you one of those people who were veering towards more the soul northern soul Motown sound well, I, yeah I'd, I'd had all that stuff in in in, in America you know when we were doing American basses we used to get all the ladies records they came out in America that week so you go on the jukebox in you know, one of those American clubs, and there'd be all the latest mu music out coming out. You know, all the, all the soul music, mostly a lot of soul music. 
and uh, and so yes, I was I was completely into that whole thing. You know. Yes, and, and what about? Uh, and I was going to say, what about your kind of? You were a perfect age to sort of experience that psychedelic movement and the summer yeah, of love. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, the 60, oh, yeah. 67 yeah. summer of love. You were at a perfect age. Were you I sort was, of then? I, Tuning in, yeah. turning on and dropping out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we 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 were. Uh, I, I spent the summer of we 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 got thrown out of Germany for not having visas, and and uh, so we hit. So we we siphoned our way down to Spain because we had no money, and uh, <laughs> we stayed in Spain for about three or four months, um, and found a club and got completely into that whole because it all oh, Hendrix the whole thing came out but Purple Age had come out in March April March of that year and it was just you just heard suddenly heard all this music and you're going whoa it's just great blues project I seen Drum was a, a real favorite thing of ones of mine uh, Al Cooper and 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 just getting into that whole you know and improvisation and trying different things and taking something and turning it upside down and you know, it's generally sort of being a, 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 a little more experimental. And we were very, you know, I was I was just still 17. So I was like, um, you know, I, I was up for anything, basically. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Tripping <laughs> the wonderful light. Fantastic. <laughs> Did you, I mean, when as we sort of trundled towards the end of the 60s, obviously things had gone from very beautiful and technicolor and, and sort of, Patchouli flavored, or, well, and, and then yeah, and then it started to get a bit sort of. That. Then there was the Brian Jones death, and then there was then Hendrix, Morrison, Janis Joplin, then Altamont, um, and the party kind of ended on a downer, didn't it? What was it like? Yeah, well, I think there was an optimism, an optimism, and it just got squished. I think that's to me there was a sort of a optimism about the future, optimism about change, optimism about changing society. How wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all be like this and do this and do that? And then I think all these things came thudding down on top of it, like like heavy boots. It was, it, it was like the 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 dark side, basically. The dark side took over, and I think that kind of happened on and off in music. I mean, it's always been a bit sort of where everything's gone. This is fantastic, and suddenly something doesn't quite work out, and or the business or something weird. You know, I mean, uh, I, you know, things like where in the in the early seventies when some of the people were, you know, you could get six album deals, four, five album deals with people, <laughs> and then suddenly, you know. The, the the vinyl vinyl cost the cost of oil went through the roof. Vinyl was you know ridiculous, and suddenly nobody could get any album deals, and no, the A and R went out the window. And it was those kind of things that sort of changed music. I'm not saying that society, but music, you know. And and it's the same with 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 with. I mean, I always think all good things come to an end. That's my that's yes. my deal, you know, and that, it never lasts. And it, and it changes and it has to change because let's say streaming now, the same thing with streaming, you know, with all this free streaming and suddenly all these people are streaming are also losing vast amounts of money. And so they're having to sort of cut it all back and suddenly our great free lunch is turning into a, you know, a, a, a expensive salad, basically. Yes, yes, I know. So underwhelming proportions and um, yes, the, the cost yes. of living has gone through the roof. So then... Well, you know, this, this yeah. Uh, that's got nothing to do with this 60s psychedelia. I mean, it's, it's just that you know that, that, that there was a lot of optimism for that for it there, and and it just it just uh, maybe it grew up. Maybe the people who were part of it just grew up. You know, yeah. I, I think that's you know. 
I do remember talking to, I think it was Barry Miles, who was very much a mover and a shaker in the 60s. And then suddenly right. he didn't seem to sort of appear so much in the 70s, only off and on. And then it was an amazing exhibition at the V&A, you know. So you want a revolution. It was very, you know, all about the 60s. Yes, various, yes, sure. And I, and, and I did an interview and I said, you know, what happened? And he said, well, to be honest, we were just incredibly tired. We were shattered. Right. We, we kind of just needed to stop and have a break and... And then, you know, thing is, everything keeps moving, doesn't it? You know, you stop off. And yes. It, it, you know, yes. the next you wave get off of... the bus, it's, 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 you've got to catch it way up the road again because it's, it's shifted, yeah. It's kind exactly. of, you know, and you yeah. think, I, that's nothing what I remember it was like, yes. you know. And and, yes. and I, I do remember I did an interview with a, one of those kind of NME journalists, Nick Kent, you know, the famous Nick yeah. Kent, who... Yeah. Yes, I know. And, 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 and dear old Nick, and he was saying that when he started writing in the early 70s, you know, and he was the young kid on the block and he was looking for punk or something new. Yeah. And he said everybody else there was waiting for the Beatles to reform. And he was going, mm, don't think, you know, I think you've missed your moment, yeah. granddad, who, you know, these right. old people of 25, 30, you know, waiting for this kind of moment to appear again. Yeah. And it doesn't happen, does it? You know, the... Oh. The no. great, the great Beatles reforming moment just slipped by, and that was the end of that, really. But then you would have had that experience of being in a band and developing a band, coming into a give a, a new decade, a new kind of chapter. Yes, in the seventies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we were, we, we, we were, we just, uh, we just a little band in Tunbridge Wells, and 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 then we got thrown into the hype thing, and then after that, we we found our fate. I mean, we we we. We found out what we liked, and what we liked to do was was keep on moving, which was something, you know, that w that we didn't necessarily want to get tagged by something because we've been tagged as this sort of hype band and all the rest of it. And I think, and also musically, we were exploring a, a great deal of stuff. Uh, the princes were like, um, we just we just tried anything and everything uh, from you know, kind of a. Uh, we had this little country rock thing for a while. We learned reggae. We learned how to be a bar band. We learned how to sort of play song music. We learned how to play. Uh, just, just we kept on finding these things that we wanted to try and do. And so as we we shifted along, I mean, we still had these. We were still the last of the, you know, six album deal thing that we ended up not having a six album, but we re-signed with somebody. You know. But there was a there was still a little bit of A and R going on, and 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 it kind of um, we were very fortunate that we that we could have that that amount of time to sort of experiment with, and and when still have gigs and still make records, you know. Yes. Um, and and, it's, and it was incredibly prolific. I mean, you did sort of three albums in less than three yes. years. Yes. Well, Nick, you know, Nick Nick was a, a prolific songwriter, and he kind of. Uh, you know, he was the main guy. He and he wrote some songs. I wrote a couple. A lot of times, you know, uh, it, it's it's, uh, but it's mostly him. And 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 we just he was pouring them out. And and not only that, but we were kind of, um, I guess, we were trying to find a, a record that we could make that was the the one. I guess, and it, we never turned up, and we kept on shifting. You know, doing different things. I, it was it was uh, interesting. I've I've talked to a few people lately about this. Yes, and, uh, I think we were kind of, you know, we were kind of, um, we were outside the mainstream all the time. So, and anybody who tried to pigeonhole us at pub rock and all the rest of this stuff, we were way beyond by the time they'd, you know, they'd, uh, they would, 
pigeonholers, I guess, you know. Yes. But I well, think well, your lack of success basically ended up, you know, ended up, uh, it ended up as a, you know, we tried we tried our best and that was it. You know, it's all, all good things come to an end, like I said. Absolutely. Because during, during 71, it was quite interesting because there's, um, I did an interview, there was a lovely one with um, Terry Reid and then another oh, yeah. one with, with Linda Lewis because there's obviously the Glastonbury film from 71, which was done by Nicholas Rowe. Who who and it captures those two in their kind of full glory, don't they? Sort of right. with Alan White on drums. Were you at that festival? Weren't you seventy one? We were. We were the very first, very first Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah, we got we got stoned off by uh, the Maharishi Guru Yogi's followers. They threw a piece of metal at us when we because they said he's arrived and he needs to speak now. We went, hang on, we haven't finished our set yet. <laughs> So it was all. It was a bit. It was a bit ugly, as far as I was concerned, and oh. uh, as far as I was concerned, really. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, so it was. It's kind of ugly. But yeah, Terry Reid. He came and jammed at our in our uh, rehearsal room. At, the Brinsley's had a had a house up in Northwood in Middlesex, and we 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 had a rehearsal room. And Terry came up one night and jammed with his. Well, I think it was just his, him and his bass player. I think came. I think. Right. But he was great. He was great. I just saw him a few years ago. I can't remember now. It's probably about ten years ago now. In uh, in New Orleans, he came and played a club in New Orleans, and I I saw him there. Yes, but, uh, but it's longer longer than that. Maybe it's no, it's about yeah, twelve years ago. Maybe I think he's, still... he's great. I, I I used to love the fact that he could just improvise so freely, and his band were just always so great. And and uh, and I love that improvisation. But the Brinsleys were anything like that. We could jam, but it was like it was like. Jamming like we'd play <laughs> a James Brown riff for half an hour, you know. <laughs> it was like it, we we kind of I don't know I, I can't quite describe what that is anyway. But um, yeah, oh, we we did actually. Brinsley actually did have a, a a time when we when we jammed. We used to have a song, the last song of the set, about seventy one, seventy two, when um, it used to last a good like twenty five minutes, you know. Yes. But, uh, and we and we did we did have a sort of just for a while we 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 uh, we were like we did a sort of a you know a sort of a jam band kind of thing but it, it, it it's because we tried everything you know I mean the thing is we we did everything we thought oh, this is good and then later we go well I've had enough of that one let's try something different or or Nick could come up with a different song and go hey let's try that you know doing it this way. Yes, it's prolific, actually. I did a, an interview with Richard Strange from the Doctors of Madness, who said oh, yeah. he, he was like two three, two, three years too early for punk, but everybody in the audience were sort of young punks who were going right. to become, you know, the big thing. But um, by the time that happened, he he he'd sort of passed it, passed the moment, and his great, you know, moment just never took right. off. And the, so, you know, timing, timing in music is kind of everything. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. With, just, I mean, just, just after the princess broke up and then everything sort of changed. 76 was like a, 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 a changing year, you know, whenever these, all these different bands were coming up. And, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's, I mean, like I say, all things good to an end. And not, not only that, in Britain particularly, you're only as, you know, your, your fame can last about six months. <laughs> because yes. They find that the audiences are fickle, and they find you know British. I mean, it's, it's good. They 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 British people have good taste. That's what's wrong with them. They go, ah, oh, this is good. Oh no, this is good now. Hey, have you heard about this one? They're always looking for something. I mean, it's not they're not, and it's not like they're looking for the new Beatles to reform. They're looking for something different. You know, 
Yes, uh, and I think and I think that kind of the teenager coming along, the sixteen yeah. to eighteen year old. I know that people like Little Richard and David Bowie, who were both born about sort of, I think they're both forty seven. They'd always say their their favourite person was Little Richard, and then it was you know Buddy Holly, Eddie right. Cochran, Elvis Presley. Right. But I remember Lemmy always saying that you know you you can only be sixteen once, but that music that you listen to, really, you know, right. absolutely on it right. all the time. Is right. that's the music that's going to be with you for the rest of your life? You can't absolutely, absolutely, yes, completely, yeah, yes. But with Bowie, I mean, he was producing, you know, releasing one album a year, producing other people's stuff, relocating, lots of live concerts. I mean, your your sort of seventies up to seventy five was quite phenomenal, wasn't it? You did something like six albums, and, and yeah, we did six albums. Yes. None of them really selling that well. <laughs> was it a little bit like that? I mean, maybe, I mean, I mean, you know, Bowie's, I mean, look at that. You know, you're talking, he, he had, the, he was the complete, you know, model. He was the complete artist. And, and then he had, and, and, and his audience moved with him. And, and that's, that's something that you, that he, people like him are unique in that kind of sense, you know. I yes. mean, it's, it's, it's sort of, Whereas the princess were forever changing. So if somebody kept turned up in a check shirt one day, well, sorry, no, what, we're not the country band anymore now. We're, 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 you know, it's like, so you kind of, we never did anything remotely like that. And, and if we dressed up at all, it was, it was, we, we got these tartan jackets, I remember one day, just to wear something different, like a, like a, like a, a sort of a working man's club MC. Was, yes, <laughs> tricky one, tricky. What was it? With with the album, please don't ever change. You had Vic yeah. Mal who was producing all right. Yeah, so he he obviously went on and worked with Lemmy, you know, Fast Eddie and uh, Filthy right. yeah. Taylor. How was what was it like working with Vic? Well, Vic was great. I mean, he 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 had, he just got this on with the sound, and we just he just let us get on with it. And he was just you know because we were at that point that album was was all over the place a bit because we kind of. Um, uh, but there was, I can't remember actually when it was now, to be honest, but 73 or 74, wasn't it? And uh, um, we were going through all manner of changes, I think. Uh, it was it was just a, 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 a kind of a time. But Vic was just, uh, he was great. I mean, he was a great, a great engineer producer, basically. Yes. That's what we wanted. We wanted somebody to, to give us some ideas, but we also wanted to do our kind of thing, you know, so. Did you ever listen to that uh, recording of the Trogs, where the, the you know the the, the members of the band or one kept saying yeah, sprinkle so some the tape. yeah the Trogs sprinkle tape, some yeah. fairy dust on it sprinkle yes that's that right well that was you know I mean we we you know we had that album we did with Dave Edmonds which was you know uh, new favourites which which had peace love and understanding on it and some of the rec- some of the songs on that are really uh, pretty strong but they weren't. They were at the right place at the right time for some reason, I think. Yes. Um, and you recorded that at the famous Rockfield Studios. Can you remember much about your residential recording experience there? Well, we... you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, we used to just we used to be, be there. I mean, it was a kind of a thing. And, uh, you, yeah, you, you'd, uh, it, it was, it was, the sound was built into it. So, you know, it was like a, I don't know, we, we, uh, I don't know how many albums we did. We did some albums. We did the Frankie Miller's album up there, I think. And uh, um, 
But and I recorded there after after that too. I, I when I produced records, I I, I worked up there. I yes. mean, it it was forever changing. They were ever doing things and making things, and then they got new studio, and then they got these new apartments. It was it became a it came from this old place where you'd sort of you'd be uh, living in the barn to sort of you know this into these nice apartments everybody had. So it was kind of a interesting place and it's just got a it's got a unique vibe to it it's out in the middle of nowhere so you got to, you got you just get on with it you know you get on with the with the actual uh, recording you know yes nice so, well it's well, a lot cheap a lot cheaper than going to air london you know well absolutely there you go and what was dave edmonds like um as the producer did he bring much he had well he oh yeah he had he had he had all the, the ideas i mean he had a lot of ideas i mean he's he just knew how to do that he just, he just, he spent so much time in Rockfield. He knew exactly how to make it work, and uh, and that's what happened. Really, that's what happened with that record. He all came out. Yes. But, did you did you have a moment when you were recording that album? Were you aware that was going to be the last album of the band? Was there that sense in the air? Or um, no, not not at that point. But um, but there was sort of there was a lot of kind of weird stuff going on you know uh there's always a sense of something but you but we had we had things about managers and we had things about what are we doing you know there's a, there was a lot of that going on but uh we never really thought about about uh about breaking up although you know there was you know there was things that uh, that were happening but you know you just kind of uh I'm always an optimist, so I've always been going, ah, it'll be, it'll work out, you know, kind of thing. Yes. And when it doesn't, and when it doesn't, you try and land on your feet again, you know. Absolutely. So when mid-70s mid at this stage, the band break, did you have a moment where you all sat down together or was it not quite done in that way? No, it wasn't quite done that way. It was more of a <clears throat> pronouncement, I think, from various people. And, 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 and you know, it's, you, you really kind of, you already knew what was going on, kind of thing. But uh, but it, it, you know, bands bands easily breaking up. It's usually pretty ugly, and and you just I'm not even thinking about it now. I mean, I, no. you know, I, I don't even remember thinking. I don't remember actually remember what I thought, other than sort of well, uh, what am I going to do now, kind of thing. And you know? yes, but, the, but then you was, was, yeah, go on. I was going to say, then you rolled on to the next project quite quickly, didn't you? And yeah, so, I mean, it. Yeah, we we kind of. Uh, 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 I, I, yeah, we, 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 I met with Brinsley and, and Martin one night down at the Hope and Anchor, and uh, and uh, they were talking about the band and and, and getting together. And I said, and they asked me if I wanted to do that, and they said, well, why not? And they had already had a bass player and drummer that they got in mind, so we just got together and started rehearsing, and and uh, and it kind of started to work out. And then Graham Parker came along. And it just all kind of, uh, it just melded together. And next minute, we're touring America and we're doing other <laughs> things, making rec making more records again, making, you know, three records in two years or something, you know. That's amazing. Which, and yeah. the sound, I mean, at that point, you know, the, you already get the sound so sort of beautifully sort of co um, co coordinated, don't you, at this stage? And things slip into gear. Did you sort of feel like you're yes, just kind moment, of moving forward quickly? Yeah, the room were just, just we knew exactly what to do as a band. We all knew where, how it played and how the musicians, how it came together. So we, we kind of, uh, 
we kind of it just came together very quickly, and I think. And and then when Graham came along, it was even easier because in a sense. We, the onus came on him to do all the kind of thing, and we just had to play. And of course, we knew exactly how to do that. You know, what I mean, it was like a kind of a so that that, that sort of um, it was it was it, it was that it was it was it was good from the get go. Let's put it that way. It was already good when we when we just by getting together. We went, you know, this this just works. This just works. You know. Yes, absolutely. It's it's an incredible sort of three year period at this stage. And yeah. when do you start sort of developing and working with other people at, um, during this this point? Because you start producing and working with others, don't you? Yeah. Well, Brinsley and I did um, Carleen Carter's album for Warner Brothers uh, in um, in seventy eight, and then we went on tour with it. The rumor went out to America, and we did like about six showcase uh gigs around america um uh 70 yeah 78 and uh and that was the beginning of me producing stuff and then i kind of um i uh um dave robinson who's you know has managed me all all through the 70s and then that was with there was on stiff records he said why do you come and do uh try jonah lewis uh yeah, uh, he's got some songs. You want to come and, and and do some stuff with him, and so I did. We he only lived around the corner from me in Brixton, and uh, so we kind of we kind of just got together and we we started playing a few things, and and then uh, we did a, we did some recording um, with Alan Wynn Stanley actually uh, uh, engineering for us, and uh, and um, and that out of that came came uh, Kitchener parties, you know, and. Yes. Uh, and that was fantastic. I mean, to to have my first sort of more or less solo uh, production sort of become a hit was actually kind of, uh, was just great, you know. And, well, absolutely. Um, and also, just going back, Carleen Carter, I remember, I think I seem to remember yeah. a young producer worked with her once. And um, I won't be able to say it on air, but she said she put the something in the country. Um, right. And That's I was, right. Yeah. And um, had quite, quite yeah, you know, he had quite a... She's like, even... she's like that. She's, she's, she's perfectly, she'll say what she wants. She's great. I, I love Carleen. I, 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 I didn't see her for a while. I saw her in in Mill Valley about a few, I don't know, quite a long time, 2010. I think that was the last time I saw her. But, um, yeah, I, I, it was great. She was she was just great to work with. And she has all this, you know, stuff about her family, of course. It's, you know, I got to meet June Carter and, you know, it was uh, it was uh, remarkable. Yes, uh, well, I would imagine. that was. And we, had, and we had fun doing it, and that's how Nick met her, and Nick came and did some backy vocals, and, and that was that. But... Um, yeah, I mean that that was that was a kind of a uh yeah, it was it was a great it was great to go and play with the two to go out and, and do the gigs. It was it was a lot of fun nationally. Yes. And how did we you cope on um, that period, which is always quite fascinating, the the sort of transition from one decade to another. We had obviously Thatcher gets in seventy nine and then we have the fourth oh, right, yeah. the yes. miners strike, then we have Green yes. and Common, you know, we think we're gonna all be nuked. And then there's a another musical shift, isn't there? The there'd have been a punk period, a post punk. Yeah, you know, there'd also been sort of new romantics, electronic music. Yes. The Trevor yes. Horn production sound appearing. How do you yes. then sort of manufactured go... sort of manufactured pop? It, it, yeah, I mean it's it was uh, I, I I kind of I mean I did the same thing with 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 uh, with them um, uh, 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 with uh, 
uh, you know, with Chona. And I, you know, I'd, I'd already had a synthesizer. I bought one in uh, 78. And uh, um, and uh, so I was messing around with us. I knew, I knew, I knew my way around them. And uh, I went to um, I went to uh, Australia and I, and I did a, a band called the Dugites. I did a, a record with them that was kind of synth, synth it was kind of synth pop. It was that sort of it's, there was always a kind of you know there was a sort of a thing with Will. Will oh, you frozen. I had a gold record in the Australia with that, and then I. Oh, oh, Bob! You just froze yeah. just before you just after you mentioned the Scotty uh, Australian. What did you say? You did um, something with an Australian band, and then it froze slightly. That's, oh, sorry. Yeah, that they were called the they were called the Dugites, and uh, uh, they were they were they were a uh, they were a uh, kind of a synth pop band, and uh, they had a great singer. She she was a great singer, and uh, they I got a gold record for them for their album I did with them. And uh, I came, I went back and did another album with them in 82, I think. But I did, um, but the trouble with me was I, I got a kind of a reputation after working with Jonah, who was um, an interesting artist to work with. Uh, 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 I, I won't, I, I like him a lot. I, he just was a little difficult at times, let's face it. And I got, I got his reputation for being able to work with, Little people that are a little more, you know, little uh, high maintenance, you know, high. Yes, I don't know how to put it without being. Yeah, they just needed they needed somebody who could who could handle it, and I was able to handle it. I had bottom bottomless patience and uh, and and a bottomless pit of ideas. So you know, I could always get round things. But um, so I had I had a few things where I did quite a few different weird weird stuff. Um, um, I, I, there was a couple of things that slipped through my fingers, which I should have, I should have got at the time. But uh, what were they? And, um, sorry, what what were the I things? Can't, that... I can't, I, I can't remember their names now. I'm not. It was, it was just. Uh, well, I'll I, I tell you one thing. I slipped through my fingers was that I was in '78 when I was on the end of that tour of um, of uh, Carlin Carter's in America. Um, um, Joe Strummer came in, came up to the party we were in and asked me if I'd come and play some keyboards on his record. And I said, I, I just can't do it at the moment. So I ended up not playing any keyboards on their record, which was which he reminded me of a few years later and said, You could have been the keyboard player from Clash. And I went, No. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Just rub it in, will you? But um, so, you know, uh, yeah, there's always things that you know you, you didn't quite get um uh that the, the, you know that there was a lot of competition when you went to gigs in the in the early 80s certainly that, you know 83 84 when you went to those gigs there was used to be like four or five different producers there because it was the latest flavor the latest band the latest thing and everyone was vying to try and get the boring you know yes so absolutely it was, it was very very competitive and you're only as good as your last record so if you know if you weren't on the list in the last six months in the top 10 or top 20 you all kind of went down the list in terms of the people at A and R record, you know, the A and departments of record. But you were in sort of quite an interesting position with Dave Robinson, but then also sort of yes, you, you got your yes. production partner Colin Fairley, and then yeah, well that was a bit later, yes, yeah. so eighty four we started me and, and Jake as well. Yeah. So yeah, so, so Jake and Jake took over my management and and Martin and and uh, and Dave Dave kind of yes, I mean. <laughs> 
I slipped in and out with those guys, you know. For for a while, I was I was with Jake. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was great. Uh, yes, we uh, we. I mean, we did the Bluebells. We did all those Bluebells records, and um, that's interesting. Because did you and you did you work with Bob, Bobby? Is it Bobby Valentino on uh, Young at Heart? Yes, yes, that, that I did. Uh, although there's, there's a story there, if you want to, got a minute. Yes, because um, uh, he was in a band called the Fabulous Poodles, wasn't he? He was a very right, yes. suave yes. chap, a bit like Death School yes. from Liverpool. Yeah, they, they, he, he, he did a he had a lawsuit against a songwriter for for Young at Heart. And yes, I I was kind of intrigued because I didn't hear about it till I don't know when I heard about it. Sometime in the sometime in the noughties, I suppose, if what they call them, isn't? Um, and I and I went what. What is this? And I, you know, my personal viewpoint of this is that when I first heard the record, when I first heard Young at Heart, we were up in Glasgow to doing some, you know, doing a prep for doing some recording with them, with the Bluebells. And I heard, and they gave us this tape of this thing. And I was like, it was like a dirge. It was like a, it was like they wanted to be Lou Reed. (laughs) It was just (laughs) like a dirge. And I went, no, it shouldn't be like this. It should be. It should be skippy and happy, you know. Young, you know, it should be young at heart, kind of thing. Yes. So, in the end, in the end, the way it was recorded was because uh, they also accused me of trying to get rid of their lead guitar player because I played a lot of lead guitar all over, a lot of guitar on their records, and I, I kind of uh, because that was one of the things I did. I, <laughs> I played, I, you know, when 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 you only have a small budget. And the players aren't that great. You go, look, I'll show you how to do this. And then you end up playing it yourself because <laughs> they can't do it. It's not that I'm, I, it's not that I shouldn't be learning how to do it. It should, they should learn and go, you need to practice a bit more. It, there's things you're good, but you need to be able to play this. Um, you you know, you try, you know, anyway, that's the whole, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm in a tangent here. No, that's good. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, so Young Heart was that. And it, and it was a kind of a, uh, it was this suddenly. It was this happy-go-lucky kind of record, and you know, we I, we I got Billy Bremner from Rockpile to play the guitar, and I we got the bass player to play the bass. We we drums on a loop. We had a loop, you know, the old-fashioned loop, one round the tape machine and down into a into a little basket thing that held the other third part of the tape. And you know, my, you know, Colin Fairley was just great on all that stuff. I mean, he was just the king of the king of stuff like that, and. And uh, and so you know we got this record and and then I play I sang half the harmonies on it you know young and I mean I, it's 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 sort of and also the the way it starts that's how it, I fixed the front I went it doesn't because it just came in and I said no it needs to that that hook you hook that in you'll know exactly what that record is and anyway so before that happened I got the sack by the rec company because they accused me of getting rid of the guitar player. And so, <laughs> so I went up and Colin said, I'll finish the record. No way, we, you know, I'll just do it. We'll just, we'll just finish it. So anyway, so I, I was in New York and uh, I was in New York pl- making a record with uh, Will Birch and uh, Bobby, uh, uh, who else was, it, was on that record? Anyway, um, Bobby Irwin. 
Bobby Irwin, of course, yes, Bobby Irwin, uh, 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 Nick Lowe's outfit guy. And, uh, and we were in New York, and then we went to see Elvis Costello. He was playing at the Avery Fisher Hall. And Jake came up, uh, we saw Jake in the hotel, and he said, Jake, he said, Bobby, you should be pleased. I said, what's the going? He said, that, that, um, that original record um, from the Bluebells, the first one they had, which was... Uh, yeah, not Young Heart, but the other one I've forgotten on that title. Anyway, so it was in the charts, and he said, fantastic. So when I got back, I got a phone call from Colin and said, it's all forgiven. They sacked guitar player and come finish the record off. So I did. So when I got down there, Colin said, I've got this great idea. I've, I've got this fiddle player to come and play the fiddle on it. And I said, oh, fantastic. And it sounded great. I mean, it just sounded great. And I went, fantastic, let's finish off the vocals, let's get the thing, let's, we need to cut that second verse, we need to cut that, that one down. You know, just doing the f- f- things to finish it off. And I thought, this sounds this sounds great, this thing. Uh, so, so it was good, and it was a hit. And then it was a number one out in 93 when it was re-released on the Volkswagen commercial and stuff like that. And... And then I had read about this thing, how this guy was looking for the co-writing with it. And I went, no one, no one asked me, no one even bothered to get to me and say, well, what's the story behind this song? Because the story behind the song is exactly what I've just told you. It would never have been made. It would never have been even brought to light if I hadn't gone and said, this isn't the dirge, it's this. It needs mm-hmm. this diddle, it needs the guitars, and got the people on it to do it. That's how records are made. You don't, and then you don't tell them, oh, no, I, I, I wrote that song. No, he didn't write this song. Nobody asked me. He shouldn't have, that shit. That was a complete and utter sham, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they got, he won the high court thing, but you know, they never asked me about it. No. Anyway, that's story. That's a, that's quite a story. Yes. Well, I, it, it was well, something very it, similar that happened with Men at Work with that big single that they had, um, which everyone remembers in the eighties. That right. that one night, decades later, somebody I think someone was watching late night telly. You'll be able to Google this, and they heard that flute bit and went, "God, that's that flute bit's been taken from somebody else," and then that went to court and. Right. And the band or the musician kind of had to pay. And the musician killed himself. He, The, the flute player right. was so distraught right. by this story and experience right. that he, um, he killed himself. Right. And it was, and it was well, a bit similar to what happened, I guess, with your the fiddle player and him. And... Well, I have no idea. I only read about it. And then I read, this, uh, I read this thing and I went, well, you know. And then there's a YouTube somewhere which somebody told me there's him bragging about how he thought of this riff and i'm going colin fairly thought of the idea got you to play as a musician you paid the bit right and that was it that's what you get paid for i mean you know i played i played on uh in 75 i did a, i did i played on get right back where you started from you know by by maxine nightingale yeah yes get right enormous back. enormous <laughs> enormous hit I got paid, you know, 22 bucks, wherever it was, uh, for the session, or what, $45, what, 45 pounds, I mean, whatever it was, you know. I mean, yes. you know, you get to plan these things, and you go, well, I played on that. But, you know, they, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, I, I, I was I was furious when I heard about it. I went, this is ridiculous. It wouldn't have seen the light of day without, without me and Colin uh, 
resurrecting it into what it was, you know. I mean, Absolutely. We, we're, going to, we're going to turn around and say, well, we wrote it because I wrote, I, I, I wrote that, you know, we, we got, you know, you, you, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't even think of doing it. It's, 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 anyway, I've talked too much about it. No, no, that's fine. Um, these things do have these, yes, they are there. But then, sort of 88, do you change your manager again to Pete Hawkins at this stage? Yeah, Pete Hawkins, yeah, yeah. Well, 87, actually. And, and, uh, I met Pete, yeah. He's, he's just, he's a great musicologist. He's just, he's, he's just a great manager guy. Uh, he, he just, uh, he really helped me out, uh, because he got me quite a few things and, uh, and but the Lars, you know, he got the Lars, and I was like the sixth producer or something. I think I was something like that. Yes. And what was Lee Lee um, like to work <laughs> with? Was he at that stage quite a young, <laughs> pure person, or was he also quite high maintenance? I think. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know whether you've talked to other people about about the Lars because there must have been lots of people that that have produced them. No, well, the only person is Alan McGee I spoke to who mentioned about Lee and, right. and just saying that um, he still wants to, is he still wanting to re-record the first album again? But you know, still. Yes, well, they they had very, they had very fixed ideas about what about what or Lee did. Lee Lee was the leader, really, and there was very fixed ideas about what he wanted to sound like, and you'd sort of you one day go, well, how's this? It goes, oh, sounds great. And the next day he'd said, "No, I hate it." <laughs> so it was that was the that was the hard part of it. Really, was 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 uh, was re- we're actually recording something that he'd he'd be happy with, and uh, you know, and and you know, producing records is make the artist happy, but make the make him a hit. They make them a hit, you know, make them a a record. Yeah. And so so I, it was it was hard, and I was just very fortunate. Uh, with that record, in the fact that um, they they there was constant personnel changes in the band, as far as I know, and and it happened when I was there. I went to Liverpool to rehearse with them uh, a couple of weeks before the recording, and um, and I came back with the guitar player on the way back, and I said, "Oh, it's gone. I'm really looking forward to this." He said, "Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm leaving." <laughs> <laughs> so well, oh, okay. <laughs> Coming back on the train, uh, so I, I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. And when I got there, they had this other guy, the guitar player. And I, you know, I, I can't remember names, which is very unfortunate. But um, he was uh, classically trained, and uh, he was the one that was able to play that riff, right, with open strings and open fingers, so that everything rang, and and he had the technique for it. And he left two weeks after into the recording because he'd got a place at some school of music somewhere and he was going to start it. So that was that. And I just happened to get that riff with him playing it onto tape. And I think that more than anything else was was what what, uh, I ended up, they used my record for. But also, you know, I think I got, I think I got his singing right. I think I got the... I, I got him to sing, and then I said, you should put some harmonies on it. And he went, oh, no, no, no. And then one night I said, mate, it really needs harmonies. And he said, oh, yeah, great. So I went. we went immediately to the studio because we were in a, we were in a, a um, you know, a, 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 a country studio that, that we stayed at. Was and, that uh, Wood Cray? Wood, Wood Cray? Wood, that's a Woodside. Is it Woodside or Wood Cray? I can't remember. Woken Sorry, you've got, you're really going back a few years over here. <laughs> yes. Sorry. And you got yeah, the harmonies. I mean, 
yes. And I put, and he put, there she goes, there she goes, there she goes again. And and just put some, just put little bits of pieces on it. Uh, but, you know, uh, Steve Will, uh, Lillywhite ended up mixing it. And uh, and we had a, I talked to Steve uh, about it. Uh, um, not so long after we'd finished that we'd finished the records and we talked about the laws. It's 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 difficult. You know, musicians are 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 creative people come in all shapes and sizes and, and you've got to deal with it. As a producer, you've got to kind of deal with it. You know, you find out the, who's the passengers and who's the drivers on in the, yes. in the on the bus kind of thing. And and it's sort of you know, and that's how you handle it, really. That's how I did it. It's quite yeah. And then obviously that that's another kind of interesting period because you're going from that the sort of mid eighties to the late eighties, where suddenly there's another musical shift, isn't there? There's ecstasy. Yeah. I think the ecstasy yeah. coming along changes the sort of another kind of the vibe, doesn't it? And there's the sort yeah. of dance scene, and there's that Manchester sort of kind of world with the Happy Mondays and the Soup Dragons and Primal Right, there's, and, um, there's a whole bunch of different things coming up there, yeah. And I, you know, I kind of, uh, it, it was, uh, it, I got a bit lost for me at that point. I, I mean, I did quite a few albums. Uh, Helen Watson, I did an album with her and I did, uh, I did some stuff with uh, Katrina and the Waves. Yes, I did a nice yeah. interview with uh, two of the members of Katrina and the Waves last did year. did what, sorry? I did an interview with two of the members. Oh, of, yeah, okay, right, yeah. And, um, you know, they were very sweet and um, obviously yeah. Yeah. nice little bad. What were the albums you worked with with her? Was that the kind of well, one? Well, they, they were just trying to find different tracks at the time. And I was just, they, I did about three or four tracks with them and they, they, they put one out. They, they, uh, they put one out, but I, I, um, uh, they they didn't I didn't quite get their vibe for what they wanted I think is what is what they were saying to me which yes I could I could get in their slow ones but their fast ones I wasn't I wasn't up for doing them having the right kind of I don't know attitude towards it I guess I yes so then how do how what it do you happens. it does happen it does I was going to say how do you then navigate your nineties how are you sort of then sort of going into I went to New, I went I I moved I I got a green card. And uh, so I, we moved. I moved to uh, to New Orleans, and that was it. That was the start. Of and your... That was it. Yes. Well, well, you know, I I I didn't know what to do because at the time I'd just done a whole bunch of recording and a whole some albums with that and with uh, with Helen Watson and everything. And I kind of um, and I'd just done a tour with um, uh, um, what was I touring with? I've forgotten now. Sorry. Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it Sam Brown? Because you worked on her album. Um, no, I, I I played on her record. No, I, that was quite a while. That was in the mid 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 eighties, I think. I played on that. Yeah, eighty six. I think, think. eighty six, something like that. It was something like that. But uh, no, anyway, I you know I so I just I, we I got the green card and I went you know uh, my wife uh, and my son was young and we just decided that we'd we'd move to America and so that's what we did and I was. Uh, and you know it, it it was it was good. I mean, I, in a sense, I started again, but in another sense, I started playing again, which is something I hadn't done for like ten years. You know, playing live and actually doing it, and uh, and I I really enjoyed it. And so it became a kind of a whole different thing. I came back and did a few things during the nineties, but mostly just uh, just for doing odd tracks with people and stuff like that. Not nothing spectacular, but yes. So was your first solo album the one that is titled In New, New 
New oh Orleans. yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing. Yeah, I was just play. I just played uh, a whole bunch of uh, of things that I'd been learning over. I started I started playing solo piano gigs about ninety eight, ninety nine, and uh, and that's what came out of it really. Because that whole New Orleans piano thing is a whole thing which I'd never really, I never really got. I mean, I got into it because I loved up Dr. John, you know. But I, I, I never. Um, uh, I, I never, I was never really able to develop it very much, and and it's a long, it's a long process to go from playing in bands to playing on your own and being, being the good enough, you know. Yes. So uh, that, and that's how I just started, and and it kind of, uh, and after Katrina, of course, because we we went through Katrina in New Orleans and uh, the hurricane, and uh, so that was a kind of a, that's when I decided I've got to get something going here because. Uh, you know, because I, you know, I've been with with my son had been growing up, going to school, and and I I had I was playing a ton of gigs in in New Orleans. There was there were so many gigs, and there were so many great people to play with. I mean, I played with all the meters, all the different meters individually. I played with Alan Toussaint, who was my all time favorite, you know, piano player. And I played with a lot of different people: uh, John Mooney, uh, John, Johnny Sanson, all these guys that are real New Orleans things that. that that are still going strong, you know, still going strong today. Yes, my God, that's fantastic. So, oh, it was quite fantastic. I was, I was in hog heaven as a musician. I mean, it wasn't something, you know. I, I, the, the, the production thing was, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, the, th- the thing about the production thing towards the end of the eighties was that you, you were an engineer. Engineer producers were the thing, and 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 I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. Not well, not as good as. Performing my Colin Fairley, I, I worked with Colin Fairley. I mean, he was like the King Kitty. I mean, he's he done. He's he had great ears. The man had golden yes. ears. Split. Yeah, golden. So, when did you move from New Orleans to Taos? When was that? Oh, sort of... this, this is about. Um, this is about uh, twelve years ago now. I think. Right. What was the? Was it a? I'm it was getting... different. A variety of the variety of reasons I got here, which we won't go into really. But it's just you know, what you do is you you know you you get to a certain thing and you go I've got to, this I need to change you know I mean like I say all good things come to an end and so and and I found this place by chance and it was just I immediately fitted in I I went I, I got here and I went to a jam on one Monday night and started playing and suddenly I had about half a dozen musician friends you know and it was kind of uh, it's and it just happens like that you know and also I'm not. You know, I'm not young anymore, so no. Well, that, absolutely, that would, but that and does and does the I, 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 yeah? Go on, sorry. I was going to say, does the climate and the landscape appeal to your sort of style? Yeah, new, I mean, being New Mexico, because I remember New Mexico. There was that artist, Giorgio O'Keefe. I remember she did those amazing. Yes, that's right. Yes, she the painter. Yeah. Yes, and and the the amazing architecture, the sky, the sands, oh, the, yeah. the cactus. Yeah. It it's something yeah. quite appealing. I just wondered if that resonated with your spiritual well, it, side. It does. I mean, the mountain is. The, the, they say here the mountain either sucks you in or spits you out, and you know, and that you know if it's doing it. So you know, obviously, I've been here ten years now. I think I'm getting used to the idea of it. So I have a little house, a little adobe house here. And uh, you know it's uh, it's snowing outside, but you know it's going to be nice in you know, two or three months. Yes. <laughs> so you brought another. You brought a solo album out at the end of nineteen twenty, didn't you? 
Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, which was, uh, which was, um, yeah, which was alone, <laughs> just to, <laughs> for the pandemic thing. And I just, it just, uh, I, I had a whole bunch of songs, and uh, I've been working on for a while. I got, I've got a little little set of recording. Everyone's got a little recording set up, and I just did it in the back room. And I've got friends who came in help me play a few things, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And, and I've got. A whole bunch of new stuff here. I mean, I, I I was sick. I got ill for a couple of years. Um, um, uh, I got leukemia, which uh, which required a large amount. So I'm sliding down here, A large amount of uh, of chemotherapy, which yes. I've now finished. So uh, so now I've been getting on uh, doing uh, doing this new album, which I've got, which is uh, which is I'm taking. I've got a few songs which I. I used to have a publishing contract in the eighties with uh, Warner Chapel, and uh, and all those songs now have all gone out of. Uh, they're all mine now. Then the copyrights belong to me, and uh, and I found one or two songs which I thought, oh, you know, these aren't bad songs at all. Actually, you know, they stand the test of time because that's what you want. You always want something that's going to stand the, the test of time. And so I uh, so I've been working on those, and I've got several songs that have come out of being ill <laughs> right but you know it's sort of like you know, you know you get to reflect on a few things when you get sort of uh, uh you know when you get fairly ill like that that's uh they they were they're very worried about me for a while anyway but um yeah so you know and now i'm getting on play i'm gonna play tonight i've got, I've got a mardi gras gig we're gonna be doing the mardi gras down in taos taos, I don't know, taos my friend he plays drums and we're gonna just play all the Mardi Gras songs and we got a whole bunch of people. They're going to make gumbo and they're going <laughs> to. Yes, absolutely. I do. I, by the way, I've been listening to the solo album. I really love the last couple of tracks you got. Love changed everything. But I also love, oh, love I'll never go back everyone to. Everyone likes that. Everyone I, likes that song. Yes, but I really like I'll Never Go Back to Woodstock and also oh, Sometime yes. in New Mexico. They're the songs that really yeah. made me smile, you know. Yeah, Summertime in New Mexico. I've been trying to sell it to the local tourist board here, but they won't have it. But um, I, I, there's a video. Have you seen the video? There's a video too of it. Which, no. This oh, is... you should, you should, so check out the Summertime in New Mexico video. That's kind of fun because yes. uh, it's just uh, it's just we threw we threw a whole bunch of stuff together during the pandemic and, and just... Uh, and just did it as best I could, but um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. That I mean, I'll never go back to Woodstock. Came off because they, they, you know, they've been advertising for years. You know, all these, all this of the twentieth anniversary, the thirtieth anniversary, fortieth anniversary, all this sort of stuff, and they've always been complete and utter disasters. And it's sort of, um, and and basically, you can't remake things. It's like it's like they, you can't remake things. You can't. It always changes. Like we were talking about the the guy that you talked about stopping and then suddenly trying to find out where, where the bus has gone and it's left it behind you know and it does it, it, it you can't you can't do all this stuff again no so it's, it's such a different world i mean we, we're in a different world here i don't know what the future holds but uh but it's certainly over here we're in a different world but it seems because seeing your facebook page and live dates and seeing people like yeah you know with lots of different musicians, some are well known, some are sort of probably well known, but I didn't know who they were. But obviously, you're having a bit of a renaissance in this sort of period, yes, of the yes. decade. Yes, I am. I, I, you know, I think it's it's. Uh, I think it's to get to the point where you go. I don't uh, care, you know. I don't. 
there's a point where you, as a person, as an artist, as a musician, you're kind of going, I wonder what people think about this. I wonder what he would think. And then at some point you just go, yeah, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I'm going to just get on with it. Yes. And and, and it's sort of, and it, it's not that it frees you up or anything. It's just that there's one less thing to think about when you when you're speaking. Obviously, you're still going to be, you know, self-critical, but but you can... Uh, and, I, and also, I found myself having these bursts of energy, bursts of creative energy, which I think is, I have to, you know, when I, when they come, I, I just strike quickly. And, yes. But absolutely. yeah, it's, it's just it's just something I think that um, that uh, as uh, I, I, you know, I don't see myself stopping playing. So why why not do all this stuff that I'm, you know, writing and and doing stuff? And I've been working with other people, doing a few things for them, and and it's. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's it's great to be. I mean, the fact that I, I'm very fortunate in that I can still play, I can still sing, I can still do all the things that I want to do. Um, lots of people, when I get up to my age, are starting to worry about it. Well, it's interesting. I think there was a member of Monty Python who's 18, and he said he can't he can't stop working for various reasons. I think he mentioned fi- yeah. uh, finance, and also Dave Mason is sort of just advertise his tour yeah. coming up for this summer as well. So I think there is a sort of... And the Rolling Stones, I guess, have got a tour, haven't they, yeah, in North true. America, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. So. Yes, musicians don't, you know, don't really do it. There's no re- retirement as such. I mean, some people just stop playing, and that's it. Go, I've got to do this, I'm going to do something else. But, you know, I, I can't do that, and I, I kind of... Uh, it's a bit late now, anyway. Yes, so. So. <laughs> so with your, obviously, the beginning of the decade was, you know, not the greatest one. But once you got the O all clear and then could stop the treatment, yes. was that, did you yes. then sort of rebuild your health up again and sort of? Well, actually, I'm still doing it. I only stopped in Christmas. So I, I uh, it was a very long, uh, two and a half years of, of treatment it was. It was, it, well, I would not recommend it to anybody. And, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to the gym. I get outside. You know, I'm gonna, it's a beautiful day. It's fifty. It's, it's forty nine. Eh? It's you know, you kind of uh, you, you just got to get on with it uh, because uh, you never know. No, and, and, uh, and, and I've, I've got all this. You know, like I said, I've got all this stuff. I want to. I want to finish it up. I, I, I have. There's a dozen songs here that I'm working on, and it's just, you know, and I've I've got four or five of them ready, and you know, I'm just going to think that the others any good. Am I writing more? So it's just, uh, it's, and there's no, I've got no deadline really, you know, beyond my own self satisfaction. So, yes. And obviously, you know, as you probably gathered, everyone's now got their home recording studio. Have you sort of also right. created your own space? At yes. Sort of... Well, I, I had for a while, I, I, I've i had various places, and right now it's in my dining room, but I don't need very much because you can do everything. In box, yeah, I've got the box, you know, and everything's in a computer. And if I want to do, I, I, I have a friend of mine who's got a little studio on the road. And I, if I do, if I do my vocals, I go down to see him just simply because he, I can just get on with singing, and he just presses the buttons. I don't have to keep, you know, he's doing all the work basically. Yes. And so I do that, and uh, and everything else is, you know, I've got, I, I did some girl backing vocals down there with with with, with my friends, and and. Uh, but everything else I can do in the in the front room. I mean, I could do it on my lap if I wanted to, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I did see yeah. that there was an amazing, I don't know, 
film about the artist Billie Eilish, where it seemed to be in her living room, just kind of like doing her yeah. sort of vocal take and yeah. her, her brother yeah. doing the little bit and pieces, bits and pieces in the corner. Yeah. And you're thinking, God, that looks very See, good. It's easy to make records these days. It's easy and you can make beats and you can make melodies and you can make chords. It's just so much easier than when, you know, it's, uh, to make the music, to actually earn a living as a musician is a whole different thing. Yes. I think that's that's really hard, the hard work. That's why trying to get a band together these days and must be, you know, I mean, I was very lucky that in the 60s there was opportunities galore for everything. Yeah, you had a good sort of, um, yeah, you yeah. had two, a good two decades in that sort of yes. front, yes. front line yes. in the trenches. Right. <laughs> Going to all those studios, all those musicians, that right. must have been amazing, right. actually. And you still got your original Hammond organ. No, I don't. No, that that left a long time ago. I've had several since, but uh, but uh, no, I don't have one anymore. And and it's, uh, I you know, I should do really, and uh, but uh, they're just too big to carry around. And I've got, uh, you know, it's that's it's fine. I play, you know, I play even even if you go and play gigs these days, people have these little, you know. Hammond clones, as they call them. Yes. Who's going to carry around a blooming great big beast like that? No, this is not. It's not a good thing. And also, it's interesting. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, David Bowie was still doing some amazing albums, you know, in his life, right up to the oh, right. you know, Black Star. And I guess you also got those kind of, like you mentioned a bit earlier, having having all these different chapters in life, and you've got this work that you still got um, in yeah. the cupboard. You. Do you still have that kind of excitement that you've got one more great album that you could put out? And then well, yeah, oh, I've still got yeah, I've still got more to do. There's still more to do. I think, in fact, I think I've you know sometimes I think I was saving it up till now. I don't know what that means, but you know, in a funny way, it, I get I get I get a little more clarity about what things are now, and I, and maybe that's come with age. I don't know, but uh, I, I get I get a lot more clarity about what 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 music is and what music is for me and and my relationship to the rest of the world basically so it's sort of uh yeah it's all good i mean just lastly i mean yes. if you could if you could have whispered something to your 16 year old self starting out in this incredibly interesting world is there anything in particular that you'd have thought yeah that would have been a good idea or uh, well not? i uh, uh, i don't know really i mean practice more <laughs> i think uh I think, um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I had a lack of self-confidence uh, uh, when I was uh, coming through all those things, the, the confidence level. Uh, I, I, should, I wish that I could have. I had confidence when I was 17. When I first started out, I thought I was great. And somehow it just got worn out of me a little bit. And, and also working with, working with some great, great songwriters has always been kind of, that's always been very hard work for me. You know, Nick was a, was a great, great writer, still is, you know. Um, and Graham was just prolific, you know. And you kind of, you kind of go, how do they do that? And it's really, basically, it's because they have great ideas and they work at it. And I just didn't have the confidence to bring myself out there. I had, the, I had songs. I've had songs all my life. But yes. um, it's only now in the last sort of 10 years or so that I've gone, you know, or 15 years that I've gone and said, this, you know, these, actually, this isn't bad, you know, you, you can actually do this. So, and I need to do it. What, what I've, what I've discovered is I, sh I needed to do it and I should have done it, you know, before. 
Yes. It's just, there's no regrets. No regrets. Well, not, not now you're in Taos, obviously. This is, this is a good place. It's not like, you know, God, it's all ended up in a little flat in, I don't know. Yes. Sort of no. Some no. city, which isn't much fun. But anyway, it sounds good. But look, thank yeah. you ever so much for this. This has been amazing. And um, so many more Great. layers that I kind of um, was intrigued by those. That's all good. Well, there's, there's lots of stories. I mean, somebody told, she told me I, I, I should... I should do some sort of memoir, but I mean that's I mean who's going to read that anyway? But I it's it's uh yeah there's there's a lot of stories out there. I mean, you, you gather them up <laughs> as I you know, go but, along. But they, but it's still brilliant. I mean amazing and yeah. so many songs that you worked on which were just yes. like, wow. That's I mean Chris Gideon's yeah. a little bit the same, isn't he? He's he's also one of those people that oh, he's, he's, yeah, but he's you know he's he's uh. Yeah, he's well. It, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of musicians that you could turn. You could talk about like that. That were always there and always did things. You know, that were always great, but never. They were up there somewhere, but I don't know. It's it's a it's a fickle business. They'll, you know, the right place at the right time can get you everywhere, and and, uh, and you can work all your life and not get recognised. You know. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, yes, this is true. But anyway, at least you're. Your work is there. Oh yeah, I'm not not, not saying that. That's not about me. I'm just saying that's how that's how it works, you know. Yes, the so, there's always somebody who turns around and says, "Oh, you know, he should have been." You know, I, I have a friend of mine who's here, who's uh, was on uh, American TV, daytime TV, as a new star, and she got signed. And she was really, she got the most fantastic voice. We, we her and I do a, a well until after until, after, until the pandemic. Uh, we used to have a duo. We used to just sing the two of us. Like uh, it was, um, it was really great. And uh, but she's just, she's not interested in being a being a, you know a pop star or a star, any kind of star. She wants. She's got three ki- three kids. She wants to be a mom, and you know she wants to have have family life. You know she said, "I don't want all that stuff." You know, right? Blimey! But will she ever appear on one of your songs? She has. She can hear her voice on uh, Family Dollar, I think, that's, that, that's on that album. She's on that. And uh, she's on. She's going to be on a couple of new ones, I think, that she's done. She's, she's just done a, a, a song with me uh, when we did uh, that. I'm, I'm just not whether I'm using it or not. But, yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she's... Uh, Is this Mini Martez? Yeah, Mina. Mina. Mina Martez. Right. Yes, Mina Martinez. Mina Martinez, yeah. Right, Mina Tang. Mm. You can hear it if you go to if you go to my website, NewOrleansPiano.com or NewMexicoPiano.com. Yes, and you go to the bottom. There's a little link says Mina and Bob, and there's like a little a little um, just a little taste of some of the songs that we used to do in a in the duo act we did. A lot, mostly covers. You know, we did covers of things, but you can hear that. Oh so, yes, I've got it here. Oh, you got Mina and Bob. That there's, it, there's a that's about a four minute sort of. It, it's like four or five songs, just so, so, sort of, uh, you know, bits and snatches of each one. Fantastic. That looks. Yeah, she's got a great. Voice. She's got a great voice. I know, fantastic photograph. Yes. Well, I'll have a little listen to this, and um, yes, then get yes. Fed. But look, thank okay. you ever so much for this. And um, right. yes, I'm I can always send you. My gig anyway. Yes, and um, have you got any special guests tonight? 
Uh, no, just I just got my my friend uh, Randy Morris, who's uh, who uh, owns one of the local uh, <laughs> one of the local eateries, and and he plays drums. And uh, he's gonna he's we've done this before, but we've done it three or four times. And we just, he's just gonna play drums, just a bass drum and a snare drum. That's all you need. And we're just gonna play all the kind of you know, going down down in New Orleans, going down see the Mardi Gras. We'll be doing that one, yeah. This is going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's yeah, it's it's all this. You know, I'm just going to move here. I'm just going to move a little thing. I, I, I mean, I've just this is my. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. That's big chief. You know, all those kind of ones. You know, and it's just you just you're just doing the things. You know. Yes, absolutely. So it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be brilliant. Well, look, thank you ever so much. You must go and rest right. and um, get into yeah, the well, zone. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to load all my equipment in my car. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we do these days. Then. <laughs> yes. Well, at least it's um, hopefully yeah. portable and not too heavy. But anyway, look, take oh, care of yeah, yourself. No, no, I've got it. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks, mate. Yes. All right, talk to, yeah. Talk to you again. Yes. Safe journey. Okay. okay see you later. Yes. Bye-bye. 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 And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Bob, forgive me the time for that, Bob Andrews, talking about his life in music. I'll give you the link to his website in the notes below. This has been the C86 Show, David Eastor. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. Keep it positive and groovy. Also, all these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.